0: Namo more at Arahato, some Sambuddhasa some Buddhas. Arahato, some Sambuddhasa some Buddhas. Ara Buddha Buddha So the first full day of the retreat is over and I hope it's been a fruitful day for you all i'm sure for some of you it will have been a a lovely day of sort of settling in to the practice and unwinding and enjoying and for others it will have been a day of struggle and difficulty uh, maybe partly maybe a bit of both maybe for some of you unrelenting difficulty and this is all very fine it's all you know <clears throat> and a very interesting part of the practice, uh, in my understanding, is is making all of this uh, in a way sort of level. It's not to be uh, uh, indulging in or, or um, uh, having preferences for, for this or that experience. And it's really interesting. It's very counterintuitive. You know, if we have a painful feeling, we will tend to quite naturally shy away from it and judge it as, as not good, as bad, as unwanted. And if we have pleasant experiences, we'll tend to move towards them and uh, feel that they're good and they're, they're wanted and they're welcome. And isn't so much of our practice a learning to uh, cease to discriminate in the same way. Uh, Not to make things good or bad, but to see all things as in a sense uh, the same. Dhamma, truth, uh, nature, manifesting. And this quality then, this enlightenment factor of equanimity can begin to arise. It's not that suffering isn't suffering. It's not that pain is no longer pain. It certainly is. Um, we, we, we don't deny the reality of pleasant and unpleasant feeling, but it's, it's not making a problem out of it and not being um, swayed by, not being thrown around by our experiences, but rather coming from a, a place of Uh, peacefulness, an attitude of acceptance, an attitude, like I said earlier, of curiosity, interest. And within that, there's a sense of a certain detachment. It's not the uh, indifference. It's not the detachment of not caring or not really experiencing things or putting things aside or repressing or suppressing our experience. Uh, that would be a mistake for us. And actually that's a danger in, in meditation practice. We can bypass the sort of concept of spiritual bypassing. We can, uh, you know, even as meditators, we can try and avoid experience, Uh, you know, focus on the the pleasant and the easeful and ignore or uh, move away from the unpleasant. And so we can can even sort of delude ourselves as meditators that we're waking up when really we're, we're picking and choosing just the same as before. So it's something to be very conscious of and for me one of the helpful ways to avoid this is to is to not have preferences is to welcome uh the messier side of life you know the emotional realm is often very anarchic unpredictable volatile uh, and and rather embarrassing really We can have emotions that are very childish, very uh, sort of primeval, and we don't really want to own them oftentimes because uh, they're a bit shameful, really. We can have the thought of, you know, I've been meditating for so many years, I shouldn't be feeling like this. I shouldn't be hating people still. I should love everybody. You know, I shouldn't be getting so furious as I am still. What's the matter? You know, I'm not, I'm not practicing well. And so if we, if we judge our experience, good and bad, right and wrong, we're going to almost inevitably avoid and suppress certain aspects of the chitta, of the heart, the mind. So to really open up, to really uh, allow what's there to surface. takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? A certain nobility and a great humility. We're not seeking to be perfect, actually. What we really want to do is to own the imperfection, the unsatisfactoriness, you know, the human frailty, the vulnerability that we all have. and actually, my my own experiences most definitely. The more I practice, the more I realise, you know, the stock of very uh, powerful emotions and crazy thoughts, and and you know, really, it's a bit wild in there. <laughs> it's a bit wild, you know. What's next? Never know. <laughs> but that's fine when we don't take it personally. And I don't mean again by that, that we, we don't uh, allow, we don't fully uh, acknowledge our experience. It's just, you know, you begin to see, well, it isn't actually very much here. It's not this one. It's not permanent. It's changing. And it's, it's not something I can own or hold on to. So the more we're willing to immerse ourselves in our experience and really embody this body, really inhabit this human life—you uh, know—the more we recognize, actually, it's not—it's not me and mine. It, it, it ar- things arise, experiences arise. They last for a time, and then they pass away. And that's how it is. And so it's a flow and we can begin to, you know, sort of in a sense free up. But I find it an amazing paradox that it's only possible to free ourselves when we really fully live, we really fully um, accept, embrace, welcome every kind of experience. life becomes more and more, you could say, perhaps intense. There's more acknowledgement of the darkness that we all have within us. We have a great potential, don't we, for good? But we also have a a tremendous potential for harm. And uh, we're no different, you know, from the people we might read about in the papers who lose it you know, and and commit atrocities. We're not so different, really. Just a different set of conditions, perhaps more fortunate circumstances, checks and balances around us. You know, it's difficult, isn't it? The world is quite, uh, uh, you know, there are many, many forces out there that are people are affected by, Uh, It's not to say people aren't responsible for their actions, but we're just very fortunate we happen to be in a place where there's not a lot of violence, hurt and harm going on. So we're not getting caught up in that. But we could so easily, you know. And so there's a, a leveling that can happen too as we open our hearts to our experience, to the bright, to the dark, to the radiant and to the... Contracted there's a great leveling. there's a realization we're all we're all we're all in the same boat, and uh, thank goodness we have some guidance in our lives. We have precepts that help us to stay fairly safe, free from harm, free from harming others. Safe and trustworthy. Isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful to sit in a room of people who uh, we know that everyone around us here has determined and has an intention to keep the precepts. We're all going to do our best and we're not going to harm each other intentionally. It's actually quite interesting in community. We were just talking this evening. Anagarika Lindsay Pei-Ching and I about the life in community and recognizing that, you know, it's even with the best intentions in the world and the really good-hearted and noble people, we can still hurt each other. It's not that that's our intention, but it's through you know, the simple vicissitudes of life, you could say, the the, the challenges of life, misunderstandings happen, maybe cultural differences Maybe people are under a little stress and, you know, it's very easy to, to to hurt and harm each other, even with the best intentions, through ignorance or through uh, a lapse of mindfulness, perhaps you could say. Talking to somebody earlier about anger, you know, how how strong that emotion can be. Somebody says something something happens and woo, you know the volcano can erupt very quickly and probably most of us in this room have that potential to to lose their temper not many of us perhaps will be beyond that just certain causes and conditions coming together can trigger that and uh whoom you know it's very quick the beauty of this practice is that we're training ourselves actually moment by moment to have a better sense of what's really going on in here, what's really happening for us. The body awareness is enormously helpful because when an emotion arises in the mind, in the heart, it will it will have a there will be a, a manifestation in the body. There will be feeling in the body. Something's happening. Something's going on. I get angry. I can feel there's a, there's a tension in the, in the heart. The belly tightens up and there's heat coming up. And it can be a very powerful momentum to actually do something. I have to say something. I have to do something. It's a really uh, vital energy. In and of itself, it's it's nothing other than vitality. You could say, moving in a certain direction. And we're learning, of course, to recognise even the beginning of of a of an emotion, a strong emotion that we would perhaps in the past have acted on. And we can we can observe it, and we we're learning how to in a way, uh, widen, broaden the container so that we can hold uh, powerful energies without actually having to let them spill out in ways that may not be helpful for us or for other people. So it's on a retreat, you you know, it looks quite peaceful, doesn't it? Or oh, sitting very peacefully and... Sometimes people say to me, "Well, everyone else is doing fine, but I'm really, really, really I'm really losing it, but everyone else looking at you would think the same of you, sitting like a Buddha, so peaceful <laughs> It's amazing what can be going on inside us, and we still look very beatific, you know, beautiful each and every one of us because we're practicing restraint, but we all know it can be it can be pretty pretty potent pretty um, dramatic what goes on inside of us and sometimes very unexpected we're sitting quietly not much happening and then something will arise in the heart perhaps a memory of something very upsetting and we're off you know we're away (laughs) you know we can we can really ride with certain things it's not bad this is not a this is not a problem we're sort of de-stressing, if you like, on a retreat. We're having a chance to process uh, energies that we may have pushed down, pushed away, because at the time that they arose, there was no space for them to be to be fully witnessed. This can be very skillful. It's better if someone upsets me that I don't shout at them, but I go away somewhere, and a bit later I can i can I can witness that anger and let it dissipate harmlessly, so in a way we can we can probably many of us notice there's a kind of bottled up energy uh, perhaps many different things held in the heart, knots like knots like um, sankaras, like a constellation, something clumped together, feeling thought. Perception, you know, whole mixture of things, complexes can get stowed away in our being, and we sit on a retreat. We make some space. We have a good intention to be mindful, and they will—they will arise for us, and it's wonderful, really, because this is the time, decompression time, you know. So not to be uh, perturbed by this and indeed to be very happy about it, we can welcome our suffering here and let it inform us. And notice how it loves this attention, it loves the space, there can be a a reliving, a full uh, witnessing of sankhara, of suffering. And then what happens? And it's really worth noting cessation when things come to an end. It's a bit like when you're sick and then you get better. We can forget all about having been sick very quickly. Like women having children. Have you have a child? It's so painful for most women. Really agonizing, I believe. I haven't had any children, but, well, I used to deliver babies. Ow, you know. It's really painful and then within about an hour after having the baby, you know, that's all forgotten. Perhaps not in the body but in the mind because there's so much else going on and it's overall such a mostly positive experience and so we forget. You know, as soon as we're better, it's as if we've always been well. But it's really worth noticing cessation. It's worth noticing when something comes to an end, because it's a release and it encourages us on the path. And there are little cessations happening all the time. So let's try and notice them. Notice the change. This chanting that we're doing, you know, in the in the morning and evening. It's so beautiful to me it's the it's the crux of the teaching really it's like a matrix isn't it we've got the five kanda, the five ways in which we experience reality multiplied crossing over with the the three characteristics the three aspects of reality the Buddha pointed to for us to really consider to really uh, come back to again and again remind ourselves of these realities anicca change impermanence anatta not self impersonal uh, uh, nature of reality and dukkha unsatisfactoriness these three they really are the guiding lights for us in our practice aren't they and then the five khandas so we can we can observe in relation to The body, change, not self, unsatisfactoriness, in relation to feeling, constantly changing. Perceptions, mental formations, that's everything we think, believe, remember, every concept we have, sankara, constantly changing, not self, impersonal and unsatisfactory, and consciousness itself, not mine. This is radical, isn't it? It's really radical. You know, I can, I can, I can relate to this body as not mine, quite easily. But consciousness, <clears throat> my thoughts, they feel a lot closer to home. They're right in here. This body... We had a body in the chapel of rest just now. It's amazing to, to to be with people at the time that they pass on. A lady who, you know, a year ago was perfectly fit and well. She got cancer. She was given six months to live. She lived for a year. She died. And then the body's in the chapel of rest. And yesterday it was cremated on the full moon day. And now the ashes are there. Yesterday was the full moon. The full moon, it came into fullness and now it's fading out for us. We had two people ordained yesterday in the temple last night. We've got a new... Salmonera and a new anagerica yesterday they were different form different name for one of them one of them was wearing jeans now he's all in white it's just powerful to me you know <clears throat> the trees the autumn i'm i'm i've got a walking path near the kuti and i'm I'm going out there every day and it's amazing how quickly it's changing now, isn't it? The leaves are falling. Every day those trees are different, getting barer and the carpet of leaves on the ground gets thicker every moment. The fireworks out there, we're getting up to bonfire night, aren't we? It's a bit wild out there tonight. I'm sure many of you have noticed these explosions going on. One minute it's all contained in a little firework, and the next minute, boom, and then it's gone. That's a bit like us, isn't it, really? It's just incredible. So when we we really pay attention to change, it's very apparent how these bodies change. One minute I'm healthy, the next minute I'm very sick. And even if we don't get very sick, which many of us will, then the body will age. I don't know about you, I'm noticing that all the time, different things happening. It's really quite interesting. Lines coming now. These blotchy, brown blotches all over the skin, sagging, sagging and sort of. Bulging in places that you really don't want to bulge in. And, <laughs> and those joints, you know, starting to stiffen up. And I'm not that old. I'm only in my 50s. have got loads of exciting discoveries to come if I live, you know, longer. So it's really good to, you know, really take on this, take in and consider again and again. Constantly, the impermanence of all of this. The Buddha actually recommended we contemplate our death every day. And I do this. It's a great remedy, actually, for desire. You know, desire for this body, desire for other bodies, desire for anything at all. The Buddha said, consider impermanence. Make it your practice, make it your understanding. And we we will tend to need to keep coming back to this because we will shy away from it naturally. We don't really want to wake up in many ways. We do and we don't, you know. We feel we do, I want to be liberated, but I don't really want to consider the fact that I'm going to cease to exist. Everything in me shies away from that. I actually think I'm immortal, really, really. I do. And when I consider death, it's always a shock. When I went into the chapel of rest to see my friend whose body was there and touching this cold, you know, sort of moist, very solid, rigid form that's not breathing. I mean, that's very strange. It's not moving. It's not breathing. It's always a shock. And so there's a, there's a very fundamental resistance to this reality. <clears throat> and it's not really, to me, at all morbid, because in fact there is no death. We witness other things dying, but the, the, the being, of course, has moved on already. Anything that was there that has a life has obviously gone somewhere else. But We have the opportunity to see the change, you know, see the carcass, see the corpse, see the shell that's left behind, and it's powerful, it's potent. But the Buddha recommended we do this every day we we consider this body and where it's heading. One thing we can be sure of, isn't it, is change. These are the the characteristics of reality, so we can be sure of this. It's a kind of a refuge for us and we can consider the the process of aging sickness and death and you know it's it's interesting to me that the more i do this practice the more calming it is the more the the, the kind of existential angst is appeased the more the fears are met and they are really worth considering really worth How to say, "Mm, uh, it's really worth poking that, it's really worth going there, because it puts everything in perspective. You know, it's like the, the question, what would you do if this was your last day on earth? What would you do? And if we can live that way, you know, what would you do? I was very, very touched when the Twin Towers came down and there was, uh, there was uh, recordings, you know, of people's last moments and they know they're going to die. And what do they do? They get on the phone and they, they tell the people that they love how much they love them. You know, that's the, that's the most important thing. You know, if it was my last day on this earth, in this form, what would I do? I'd want to put everything right that that doesn't feel right. Anyone I feel I've hurt or harmed in any way, I would want to apologize to them. I would want to make peace. I mean, it's making peace in our own hearts, of course, but also for them, for that relationship and it's really interesting to to consider this the buddha said actually we should really be considering each breath may be our last breath because indeed it is it is there is just this breath but if we live on that edge of really understanding anicca anatta dukkha impermanence not self unsatisfactoriness. If we, if we live right there in that place, if we live that reality, then every breath is our last breath and we're going to make it right, you know. So I find it really wonderful practice. It's such an encouragement to live well and to avoid any, any grudges, you know, anything hanging over us, any unfinished business. When we leave our house to go away somewhere, imagine, be clear, you're not coming back. Make it good, tidy it, you know, finish the business. We have a a lot of encouragement for this in monastic life, of course, which is really wonderful. We get moved around a lot. So we we keep it light, you know, because you don't want to be carting lots of stuff around every few weeks or every couple of months, whatever. Whatever. But there's also the encouragement to recognize that wherever we happen to be sleeping this night, it's, it's a roof over the head for the night. And so to keep it tidy, to not accumulate, you know, to not leave a mess that somebody else might have to clear up tomorrow when we've passed on. So it's really interesting to me, this is not morbid, but this is actually rather energizing It's very focusing, isn't it? It's quite alert and a sense of of urgency comes in. What do I need to do? What do I need to complete? How to make the most of? So I'm very grateful to this lady who let us uh, have her body in the Chapel of Rest. She was very happy to do that. But it was also a wonderful opportunity for all the monastics and guests to be able to consider. Because we get close to a body that's died and we, it sort of has much more of an impact than just thinking about it, doesn't it? And for some people it was the first body they'd seen. Anyway, back to the body, sense of me and mine is, is, is not so strong. It's a thing, isn't it? It's a, it? We can see it as a shell or a, a vessel. Consciousness is inhabiting. That's just a view, of course. But our sense of selfhood is, is perhaps less when it comes to this body. <laughs> But let's consider it in relation to our perceptions and our thoughts. The Buddha said these are like uh, perceptions like a mirage in the desert. Thoughts like a plantain tree. No no heartwood, hollow, nothing substantial there at all. And consciousness like a, a conjuring trick a magician's trick, an illusion. And the illusion, the really clever part of the illusion is that it creates a sense of me and mine. Consciousness itself, you know, is doing that from when we're very young, isn't it? We, we begin to have a sense of identity, of being somebody with a history, memories, a very, um, how to say, Tenacious, they're very tenacious. There's a sense of mine around memories, our past, our relationships. <clears throat> but in the end, as much as we attach to anything as me and mine, that's just how much we suffer because because we're going to lose it. So these are really sort of potent um, messages, teachings for us to to consider. The unsatisfactoriness is in the impermanence and it's in the uh, inability to own anything, to control anything, to make anything mine. So in short, this realm of samsara endless becomings, births and deaths, is inherently unsatisfactory. We're not going to find any refuge here. We're on very shaky ground, aren't we? We're all on death row. We're all mortal, you know. We're looking at, we're not looking at a bright future. We're really not. We're looking at a slow, steady process of decay if we're lucky. and all sorts of other possibilities much more challenging so there's absolutely nothing here that we can really hold on to rely upon shaky scary it's a bit desperate really if we if we attach to These bodies, the situations we find ourselves in, even our loved ones. It's not that we can't uh, live skillfully family life, look after each other, you know, love each other, serve each other. It's just there's there's no safety there, there's no security, there's no refuge. And so then, seeing that, we begin to develop our refuge, our real refuge and it's interesting, people say you know buddhism it's a bit it's a bit negative, really. it's all about suffering, it's always teaching about suffering the first noble truth there is suffering <clears throat> but it's a it's it's quite the it's quite the other way, isn't it? It's quite the opposite. It's actually a path of great joy and happiness because we're seeing the suffering and in that way we're moving beyond it. So we have a chance to really thrive and to realise freedom, peace, liberation and let our refuges inform us, guide us, grow into them, Buddha. Being awake, being aware, mindfulness itself, it's surely our greatest friend. And the truth, the truth, which is subtle, it's not, you know, it's not so apparent actually. It's like a journey to, to find the truth, to move towards greater truth. You know, it's a process, isn't it? It's a process of finding out what's not true. It's very interesting. Almost everything we experience, in the end, we can say it's not true. So we're sort of moving through the field of delusion, but we're moving in a direction of truth. It's really amazing. It's really good if we can look back and say, well, I had no idea before of how things really were. I had no idea. Now I have a sense of how things are. Well, that's happened to me so many times now that when I have that thought, I I laugh at myself. (laughs) Oh, now I understand. Now I've got it. I've understood the teachings. I just laugh at myself when I have those (coughs) thoughts (laughs) because I probably don't. I probably don't because we're we're kind of extricating ourselves from a a, a kind of web of illusion delusion <clears throat> and so I don't really trust my thoughts anymore I just let them roll on by you know what is the illusion the delusion that we're so caught up in it's every time we think that something's permanent which is quite a lot of the time actually and every time we think that something's mine or me which is a lot of the time isn't it really you think about it (sighs) you know (laughs) it's quite tiresome you know someone says something to me and i'm upset these are my thoughts this is true because i think it's true you know it's very tenacious this sense of me and mine and it's a constant exploration i love the teachings of sri ramana maharshi this great sage from uh, who lived in india died in 1951 a great saint and his 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 teaching was to question who am i like a koan isn't it who am i and just to keep looking keep keep finding out searching for the one you know the 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 the, the something there that i can say is me is mine For me, it turns into something more like, what am I? What is it? What is it? What's happening? It becomes more like that. And then what happens? As we keep practicing mindfulness, we begin to feel as though we're moving through like a tunnel of what is it, what is it, what is it? Because it's changing all the time. So you can't, you can't really hold on to anything. Things are just moving through. And that's very nice because there's a sense of, well, there isn't really anything that can be held on to. Every experience is passing. We don't have to try and let go, it just goes, it's going to go. If we let things be, they arise, they last for a while and they pass away. And the more mindful we are, the more we Center ourselves, our attention here in the framework of this body and mind, the more we can recognize this is happening with great, great speed, you know. Every moment is sort of recreating itself and dissolving again and again. Everything. So there's a tremendous energy, a flux, a flow and there's nobody there there's nobody there we're really not in control and so when people come on retreats and want to develop certain qualities or to you know get rid of certain unfortunate habits to make some particular kind of progress We can recognize that that we just need to let go of that. Let go of of any agenda here. It's just more suffering. Even wanting to try and be a better person. What a nightmare. It really is. (laughs) You know, because it's the same old. Me, my problems, my life, my self-improvement. It's hopeless. We're doomed. More suffering, you know? And it's so natural to do that. It's so natural to want to, you know, I want to let go of this and that. I want to be less angry. I want to be a nicer person. It's very natural. It's very good intention. But we don't have that kind of choice. There's not that kind of control of reality. We have to let go let go of self-improvement, let go of self-judging, let go of self. And then we can start to really appreciate what's real. So we have our refuges, refuge in the truth. What is the truth? Impermanence is the truth. Not self is the truth. There's nobody there. There's nothing substantial. The unsatisfactoriness of this sense of individuality, sense of security in this world, is the truth. But there's a great beauty to... Moving towards the truth, closer and closer, step by step, you know, breath by breath, breath by mindful breath, we're moving closer to the truth, (coughs) which must always triumph in the end. Isn't it wonderful to be part of that, you know, rather than struggling against that, just to flow with that. If we're not willing to do this, it's like we spend our whole life swimming against the current. It's just so exhausting. (sighs) And then you get to the point where you lose your strength, you know. At some point, we lose our strength and what happens? We feel like we're drowning, you know. But if we're fortunate and we've developed our mindfulness... When we come to that point, we can recognise the best thing we can do is to stop trying. Give up. And instead of drowning, what a surprise. We can just float with the current, effortlessly. And where does it take us? It takes us in the direction of peace, happiness, well-being, bliss, freedom, nirvana. So this is our great opportunity to give up. Die before you die. Do it now. And then we're in the place where there is no death, no birth, no death. And, and we can all do that. It's absolutely possible. Every time there's something holding on to me, holding on to some permanency, control, identification, attachment, just see it. That's all we have to do, just see it. And it goes, it's gone. And we're freed up that little bit more. And all we have to do is keep letting go, keep letting things be. It's not in our control. It's not in our we don't have no choice about the results. But we can be very sure that there this process is leading us towards a lightness and a happiness and a well being. And that's good enough, surely. So I wish you well with this journey. Happy floating. <laughs>